Uh, before I uh, invite you to turn in your, in your Bibles to the Scripture, I, I want to ask you a question. I want you to be thinking about this. How many of you, now don't say anything yet, how many of you have a favorite book of the Bible? A favorite book of the Bible. Now just be thinking about that. A favorite book of the Bible. I have a favorite book of the Bible. I'm asking you if you have one. If you have a favorite book of the Bible, raise your hand that you have a, a favorite book of the Bible. What is your favorite book, Sarah? Philippians. Philippians. What a great book. Amy Lee. Hebrews. Hebrews. Wow. Hebrews. Raquel. Proverbs. Who else raised their hand back here? William. Exodus. I might have figured William would like one of those Pentateuch books back there. Lynn. Jude. Luke. Luke. Mr. Close. Romans. Way back there, Mr. Grace. What? Jonah. That's a whale of a book, Jonah. I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. Nobody said Obadiah. Is there anybody in here who, for whom Obadiah is your favorite book? No. Not a soul. Not a soul. Is there anybody in here who would actually consider Obadiah for your favorite book? Not a soul! Turn with me to Obadiah. Obadiah. If you go to the, to the end of the Old Testament, you'll find 12 little books. We call them the Minor Prophets. And uh, the fourth of those books is a book called Obadiah. only has one chapter. Folks who like short sermons should choose Obadiah for your favorite book. It is the shortest book of the Old Testament. It has 21 verses. And so this morning, we're going to do something that we rarely do, and that is we're going to read an entire book in the Sunday morning worship. Because it's the book of Obadiah, 21 verses. These 12 uh, books, the minor prophets, are called minor not because they are of lesser importance, but because they are shorter than the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they're major prophets. The smaller books, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, they are shorter. And so because they're shorter, we call them minor prophets. But as the title of this series indicates, just because they're minor prophets does not mean that they have minor messages. These are major messages from minor prophets. So far we've looked at three of these uh, little books, minor prophets. In Hosea, we saw that God's love is radical. It is unexplainable. It's even foolish. That's the the kind of love that God has for us. In Joel, we learn that God speaks through our circumstances. In Joel's case, it was a locust swarm. And God spoke through that natural disaster. God speaks through the circumstances of your life. Uh, Two weeks ago in Amos... We saw that Amos was a nobody who told God's people they need to take care of nobodies. We have a God-given responsibility to take care of the nobodies. And today we're going to look at Obadiah. Obadiah, the only chapter 
in Obadiah chapter 1 and only 1. Here's beginning with verse 1 what Obadiah says. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock and make your home in the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? Men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Your warriors, O Timon, will be terrified. And everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor cease their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess his inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble, and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors in the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. 21 verses, shortest book in the Old Testament, Obadiah. There's so much about Obadiah we don't know. 
We don't know much about him personally. He's not mentioned anywhere else, just here. And he doesn't give us enough information for us to know what he looked like or what his voice sounded like or what he smelled like or what his background was. We just know his name, Obadiah, means a servant of the Lord, a worshiper of the Lord. There's so much about him we don't know. We don't even know exactly the time period in which he prophesied. He doesn't give us any indication in terms of the names of kings or the names of other countries as to when he might have prophesied. One thing is for sure, and that is that he prophesied in the aftermath of the invasion of Israel. Now that could have been any of three different uh, times. It could have been in the uh, 800s B.C. when the Philistines invaded part of Israel. It could have been in the 700s B.C. when the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of Israel. Or it could have been in the early 500s B.C. when the Babylonians invaded the southern kingdom of Judah. Most scholars believe it was the latter of those three, but we really seriously don't know. There are some verses in Jeremiah that are identical to the verses in Obadiah, and that lends credence to the idea that Obadiah and Jeremiah lived about the same time. If that's the case, then it would have been in the aftermath of the Babylonian invasion of Israel. But we can't say with certainty. I'll tell you one thing that we can say with certainty. He was an angry prophet. People don't like angry preachers. I've I've found that out. Uh, I've experienced it myself. There have been times when when in in preaching I came across angry, and I've I've had mothers whose children went to them after the service and said, Mom, why is Preacher Jimmy so angry? And she said, It's because he's angry. Obadiah is angry. He's not angry at Israel, and he's not angry at God, and he's not angry at his friends. He's angry at Edom. Edom. He's angry at Edom. And he's lashing out at Edom. There's not a single complimentary word that he's saying in these 21 verses to Edom. He's angry with them because when Israel was invaded, Edom stood by and let it happen, even cheered the enemy when they came in. There are three things I want you to notice about Obadiah's message. The first is this. Obadiah is saying that Edom was guilty. Edom was guilty. They were guilty of so many things. First, they were guilty of pride. Verse 3, he says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Edom was guilty of pride and God hates pride. Edom was also guilty of violence and terror. Verse 5, If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? In other words, when Edom came into Israel and they were cheering on the enemies, when the enemies would leave something behind, the Edomites would come in and clean it all up. Let's get it all up so the Israelites won't have anything left. And so Obadiah says to them, he says, even if robbers come in and they they rob your house, they'll steal what they want, but won't they normally leave something? They do. But not the Edomites. They were filled with violence and with terror. He says in verse 10, he says, because of the violence that you committed against your brother Jacob, Jacob was another name for Israel, 
Because of the violence against your brother Israel, you'll be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. Edom was guilty of pride and violence and terror and guilty of apathy and refusal to get involved. Listen at verse 11. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off your brother's wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You stood there and said, sick it to them. Sick it to my brother. Sick it to my cousin. Verse 12, you should not have looked down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor should you have rejoiced over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you boast so much in the day of their trouble. There was apathy and a refusal to get involved. Not only were they guilty of apathy and refusal to get involved, but they were guilty of looting and plunder. Verse 13, you should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. They were guilty of looting and plunder, and they were guilty of refusing to accept refugees from Israel. Think about that now. Here you have, whether it was Babylon or Assyria or Philistia, coming in and invading the nation of Israel. And uh, as they are invading Israel, there are people from Israel who realize the cause is lost and they try to escape to Edom. But Edom has closed her borders and will not allow anybody to come in. He says this in verse 14. He he said, you should not have waited at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Edom was guilty of refusing to come to Israel's aid. The second thing I want you to notice is not only that Edom was guilty, but Obadiah says that God has promised to give Edom what Edom gave to Israel. You might wonder, well, what's this big deal about Edom? Well, I want you to get this. Israel, the people of Israel, are descendants of a man named Jacob. Jacob, whose father is Isaac, mother is Rebekah. Jacob had a brother named, tell me, Esau. Jacob and Esau. Jacob's descendants are Israel. Esau's descendants are Edom. And so these people who are cheering on the enemy as they invade Israel are brothers of Israel, cousins of Israel, blood related to Israel. And Edom has turned his back on his brother Israel. Esau has turned his back on Jacob. And so God says, hey, I'm going to give to you what you have given to Israel. And what did they give to Israel? No mercy. Here's what he says in verse verse 15. He says, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. Now, I want you to get this, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? The day of the Lord is near for all nations, verse 15 says. Here's what God says. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. So, get that. God says to Edom, I'm going to do to you and for you what you did to Israel and for Israel, which is you showed her no mercy and therefore I will give you the same thing that you gave, no mercy. 
And so the third point that I want to make here is this Obadiah has given us a universal principle. You see, every book of the Bible has some main theme that everything that is written in that book centers around. And for Obadiah, that message is this, you get what you give. Hear this principle, I want you to repeat it. You get, say it. What you give, say it. Now say it all. You get what you give. Listen, you get out of life what you put into life. You get out of church what you put into church. You get out of your relationships what you put into your relationships. You get out of your marriage what you put into marriage. So the next time you start complaining about your marriage or the next time you start complaining about your friendships that are maybe no friendships, the next time you start complaining about your church, the next time you're down on life, stop yourself and ask yourself the question, what have I put into those things? Because you will get what you give. Now, I said this is a universal principle. What do you mean by that? I mean that it's taught not only in Obadiah, it's taught everywhere in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. For instance, Proverbs 22, Old Testament, verse 8 says this, He who sows wickedness will reap trouble." And the rod of his fury will be destroyed. But a generous man, a person who gives, will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. What is that verse saying to us? You get what you give. That's what Proverbs 22, verse eight, verses 8 and 9 say. So they're repeating what Obadiah said. But not only is it found there, it's found in the New Testament. A couple of times in Paul's letters, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will reap generously. You get what you give. That's not the only place he says it. Galatians chapter 6, a totally different letter to a different group of churches. He says this, chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You get what you give. You give Jesus your life. He will give you eternal life. But it's not only found in the Old Testament and a couple of places or more in the New Testament and Paul's writings. It's also found in the the ministry of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give. And it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I 
I don't want you to remember necessarily that Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. You don't have to remember that. I don't want you to remember necessarily that we don't know a whole lot about Obadiah. I don't even really care that much if you remember that he was one of the minor prophets as opposed to a major prophet. That doesn't really matter. I'll tell you what really matters to me this morning. I want you to get what he's saying. You get what you give. You get what you give. What you put in is what you get back. What you invest is what you reap. And with that said, throughout the Bible it's said both negatively and positively. Obadiah is all, he's using it all negative. Edom, you gave neglect, you gave disobedience, you abandoned your, your brother, and as a result, God will abandon you. You get what you give. You gave abandonment, you will get it. It's negative. Jesus was on the positive side. He said, give and it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaking together, running over. It's going to come back to you. That was the positive side of it, you see. It works both negatively and positively. So the question really for you and me is this. What are we putting in? What are you putting into your relationships? What are you putting into your marriage? What are you putting into life? What are you putting into your work? What are you putting into your church? What are you putting into your relationship with God? What are you putting in? Because if I have failed to put in, I can't really complain when I don't get back any more than what I put in. Obadiah's message is you get what you give. You get what you give. You get what you give. What are you giving? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there are some times when your word is so crystal clear that your message is unmistakable, it is unavoidable, and Lord, today is one of them. Maybe it's because Obadiah was angry. Maybe it's because his words were so few. Maybe it's because he was so passionate in his rage against Edom, I don't know, but this much I know, he was crystal clear. Edom, you're going to get what you have given. And Lord, that this principle is echoed throughout your word. You get what you give. Underscores its significance. Lord, I pray for marriages in this church. I pray for people who are struggling in their marriage. Lord, those of us who are struggling, Lord, help us to stop and think, what what am I putting in? Lord, those of us who are struggling with friendships, oh, nobody likes me, oh, oh, nobody comes around, or oh, I can't think of anybody who really cares anything about me. Lord, help us to stop in the middle of that downtrodden conversation and ask, what am I putting into my friendships? 
Lord, those of us who are disenchanted with church, we're still coming, but we're disenchanted. Lord, help us to stop and ask, what am I putting into my church? Lord, help us to hear that we, we, we get what we give. We don't give to get. We give out of love and worship. We give out of love of God and love for people. But Lord, as we give, Your Word clearly teaches us that we get in clear measure comparable to what we've given. Lord, help us to commit to give. Lord, there are people in this room who need to give their lives to Jesus Christ. People who've never been saved, never invited Christ into their hearts, and they need to give their lives, their hearts to Jesus. Here this morning. Lord, I pray that this altar would be filled, not for the sake of filling an altar, but Lord, I pray that it be filled for the sake of the glory of our Lord and for the change in people's lives. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.